This is a self-disruption extra brought to you by SEAC. What's going on, everyone? You're listening to the Self-Disruption Podcast, where we help you improve your leadership and innovation with top experts in their field today. Brought to you by SEAC, a global leader in lifelong learning and innovation. You can find out more about them at seasiacenter.com. I've got all their links in the show notes. Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time to stop in and talk to me today. Now, you guys do a lot of interesting stuff training wise, but your, your work on creativity really is inspiring to me. I'd like you to dive in a bit about that with me today. If you have, if you're okay with it. Absolutely. So one of the things that I'm interested in is how we as individuals stay creative. You know, before we start to talk about the corporate side, I think, you know, it takes creative people to make a creative company to start with. How do we one lose that creativity? And then how do we get it back? Cause I know you talk a lot about how people have lost that edge or lost that flow state. Well, that's right. The research that we've looked at shows that 98% of children score high in divergent thinking. So that's a huge amount. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're talking about three to five-year-olds, meaning they can connect things together. They can make the jumps. And as that gets up to adults, uh, people have said that 98% of adults don't score high. So only 2% of adults score high on that divergent thinking or the ability to connect things together. So we have started to think, well, well, what happened? What went wrong? I mean, we, we seem it's not like some, some people say, well, I'm not creative. Well, that may not be true. It may be they were creative as children, uh, but something happened in their childhood or their environment or their school system or university or even at work. They pretty much killed their creativity and, and that was it. There was no more reason for them to do it or no more option to do it. And yet, ironically, we're now in a situation where one of the largest CEO surveys and the World Economic Forum have both said with the coming of age of AI to future-proof our jobs, really the most important thing we're going to need now is that creativity, that that ability. And we're not talking about an artistic creativity. We're talking about the ability of what children can do. They can make these jumps by connecting two totally unrelated things together to come up with something that we may not have seen. And funnily enough, that's what we're going to be asked to do now in our workplace. And yet we were probably better off when we were young. So do we lose it because it's a skill that we're not practicing? Or do do we lose it just because of society? Like, how, how does that happen? Well, I think it's all of the above. I remember going into a school where we interviewed all the kids from grade kindergarten right through to year 12. Mm. Uh, every single class we went into, an international school. And in kindergarten, we asked the kids who thinks they're creative. And all the hands were, you know, rising as high as they could. And they were so excited. Me, 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 me. And... Literally, as we went through every single grade, the graph went down in a 45-degree drop-off. So, by the time we got to year 12, one kid put his hand up. So they thought that they were less creative as they got older. Yeah, and so we were a bit courageous. So we went to the teachers that we had a good relationship with and said, hey, guys, you know what, what's going on in the school? And one of the teachers, my daughter's teacher at the time, said, look, the problem is we reward correctness. Yeah. We don't reward creativity. I, I can see, and you know... I'm, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but in America, uh, there's not much focus being put on success and creative careers. You know, a lot of time as you grow and your your parents or your teachers talk to you like, oh, if you want to be successful, be an engineer, an accountant, um, you know, a finance major or something like that, that, 
you don't necessarily associate with creativity. Well, creativity is about taking risks. And the other problem is creativity has been often hijacked by the concept of artistic or dramatic creativity. So mm. when we see that word, we don't really connect it into business practices. But I, I understand creativity is connecting two things together or one plus one equals three. So you can come up with something better or in banking terms, how to do more with less. Um, so in that sense, yes, we are asked in the workplace to do that every day, but most of our school has not measured that. Most of our school has been giving us multiple choice and we've got to spit those questions back. Ironically, Steve Jobs got kicked out of school yeah. because he was given A, B, C or D and he said, I don't like either of those, but what about if I take A and connect it to D and come up with E? And the teacher said, no, you can't do that. But that's what a creative person says. They're looking outside the A, B, C, D, and E, and they're saying, is this something better? Can we combine the A's and the B's to come up with an E or an F or a Z? Yeah. But school doesn't encourage that. It, 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 it pushes you through it. And therefore, when you get into the workplace, if you want to be successful, you can't take risks because you can do 10 successful things and one failure, and guess what gets marked against your name? It's yeah. the failure. You know, you talked about the kids being more creative as they were younger. I can think about that at... When I was a, a little kid in kindergarten, a stick could be anything, right? A rock could be anything. I'm 40 years old now, and a stick's a stick. Yeah, yeah. So we can't see things that we could see. And look, people will blame. I mean, we do know that creative quotient, CQ, has been dropping since the mid-90s, whereas IQ continues, according to the Flynn effect, getting 10% better per generation. Uh, we I like to ask our audience, you know, what why has CQ been dropping since the 90s? And of course, people will say the internet, and we love to throw everything at the internet or smartphones. But at the end of the day, you saw something in a stick because you took the time to see that. Nowadays, a stick to, a stick's a stick because you don't have time to do anything else with it. Yeah. Stick's a stick, and the next thing that comes along in front of your face is probably an iPhone, and now that's taken up your time. So definitely, we had more time as children to explore. And you're absolutely right. Creativity is like a muscle. I think if we don't use it, it will atrophy. And therefore, if we're not encouraged to use it as we go through school and get rewarded for correct answers, and then in the workplace, we're also rewarded for our KPIs and our correct answers, then we're in trouble. You know, I, I want to challenge the idea of the internet real quick, being kind of the culprit here, mm. because I, I think about it from... When I was in high school in the 90s, I didn't have access to the internet. And if I wanted to find inspiration for something or learn something or or find something that someone else was doing i had to really go to the library or, or find some other way to find it today i have a lot of creative inspiration at my fingertips mm. through the internet mm. uh, maybe i'm using it wrong if if my creativity is dropping or maybe a lot of other people are i mean i don't I don't get the correlation. No, well, actually, yeah, you're right. I, I threw out the word internet probably as the not, not the cause behind it. I think it is the lack of time okay. that is sucking into our lives, the amount of time we spend wasted doing non-creative things. But like anything, it's it, it can be a, a force for good and a force for evil. But just remember, I mean, one of the things that we discover blocks creativity is narrow-mindedness and insulation. So just quickly back to that, we worked with a neuroscientist and a psychologist to look at the things that block creativity. And two of the things were narrow narrow-minded and insulation. Mm. If you think about right now, there are thousands of social media engineers directly designed to keep us on their sites, whether it's Facebook or YouTube, building algorithms. Damn you, Netflix. Building algorithms to say, hey, you like this, come on this one, because yeah. their model of business is growth, not just profitability, but growth. 
And so we are being told to go down rabbit holes where we're getting fed what they want us to be fed. We're not, we're not necessarily um, broadening our horizon. We should be using the internet and, and the digital to look at what's going on in the world and seeing other people's perspectives. I mean, that's what it should be used. And I, I might be a Democrat, so heck, let's see, what, why do Republicans think like that? But instead, it's the opposite. You can't you can't say things like that in America. Let me see what the other side thinks. It's not allowed. That's right, because because we've been algorithmed into going down these rabbit holes, and we're seeing the polarization happening more and more. But from a, without getting political, from a from a creativity perspective, that inability to look at other people's viewpoints and empathise and put yourself in other person's position and, and see a problem from a different perspective. Uh, yes, the internet is absolutely there for us to see it, but the algorithms that are trying to control my internet diet yeah. is not letting me see it because they want to keep pushing me the same material to keep me on their site. So I, I wouldn't say the internet is wrong and I wouldn't say it's killing our creativity. But unfortunately at the moment, from a time perspective and from a narrow-mindedness perspective or insulation perspective, we're not using it to our advantage to become creative. Yeah, I can definitely understand that because I'm as guilty as anyone is binging, uh, especially with Netflix. Like, I've binged way too many, uh, especially the Marvel seasons when those come out. But also, like, from what you said about the way it doesn't allow us to flex our perspective, it is true that, at least for me, I often find myself kind of in an echo chamber Hmm. when when I'm online, whether it's in if I'm going on Reddit or, or who I see in my Facebook feed or on Twitter. A lot of times I'm just looking at things that I would sort of agree with anyway. Mm. And I, that's obviously algorithmic in nature that it's feeding me back things that I've engaged with in the past. So, again, we won't blame, you know, we're not going to blame Facebook or blame the Internet. But what we're going to say is the principles behind that is the, the things that kill creativity we know are narrow mindedness and insulation. They're two of the seven. And so, therefore... If you're using these tools to just become more narrow-minded and more insular and find more people agreeing with you to make you feel good and make you go to sleep saying, wow, there's people in my tribe that actually believe in me and believe in what I believe, that's not going to help you become creative because creative people are always looking for other alternatives. I hate to use the word thinking outside the box but because everyone uses it. But but they, they have shown in research that the more you travel, the more you speak other languages, all these things increase your creativity. And so you have to ask why. Well, when you travel, you're exposing yourself to different cultures. You're exposing yourself to different countries. You're exposing yourself to different ways of doing things. I've just come back from China and they were quite converted about what's going on in China. And, <laughs> and you know, as a Westerner, I think, wow, all these cameras looking at me and, and, and everything being in, you know, a, a state where everyone's looking at us all the time, that freaked me out. But I have to look, but, but it was really interesting to stop and think, well, what's it like from their perspective? What's it like running a country with a billion people in it? I'm not yeah. saying I agree with it. I'm not saying I'm disagreeing with it, but I had to stop reinforcing my own bias mm. and start to say, what, what, how do they see it? And that is opening up our narrow-mindedness. And from that rich exchangement of ideas, we can actually start to come up with creative ideas. But if everyone sits inside their own echo chamber, you won't be creative. And I guess a lot of it comes down to understanding the context of the situation Mm. you're in, right? And so if if you can step outside of your own mind and say, oh, well, this is the context of China... Exactly. Yeah. So if you take, let's, let's move into the more generic stuff of design thinking. I mean, the very first stage of design thinking is putting yourself in your customer's shoes. Empathize, now, right? Empathizing. You can't do that if you're living in an echo chamber. So therefore, that's why the more people travel, the more languages they speak, the more exposure they get to other points of view. So as I said, instead of just looking at one person's point of view and keep, continue feeding yourself off that, go and look at 
Go and, go and say, I'm deliberately going to go and see if I can understand what the other person's saying. Mm. You don't have to agree with them. But that exposure allows you to see a much bigger picture. And from that bigger picture, there will be more creative ideas for you to find. Now, from a if I look at that from an individual perspective, then switch over to kind of how a business would look at creativity. A lot of times, you know, it's very, very difficult to get out of that echo chamber at work, whether it's, I was an engineer for a long time and you know, I worked on a team of eight people, as, of eight engineers, and it is very much an echo chamber in that one department. I've also been an entrepreneur where I've had companies as large as 12 people. And a lot of times within the company, it becomes sort of, you know, especially if you're hiring everyone, you sort of hire people in a certain mindset and it, it can easily become this sort of echo chamber. How does a company kind of work around getting people out of that perspective or getting teams out of that perspective? Look, I mean, let's go back to as simple as disc profiling. I've worked with a team where the boss has employed all his own team and when we've done the profiling, they're all exactly the same. <laughs> um, and I remember he, he looked and he went, oh, heck. And, and again, I'm guilty of that. Yeah, I'm and guilty. we were using, because, because we do. We, want to, we are attracted to people that are, think the same as us, feel the same as mm. us. Uh, talk the same as us and and often I go to these Asia Pacific conferences and all the Australians sit at one table over dinner and all the Singaporeans at another and the Chinese at the other and I'm saying this is your chance you know you come together once a year as a conference group yeah. don't sit with the people you sit with every day at the office go and find someone from another culture sit with them learn from them understand from them that will open up your palette to see more colors mm. to see more creative ideas so you're absolutely right companies we do tend to employ like-minded people yeah. we tend to hang out with like-minded people uh, they make us feel good because they make us feel that our worldview is the right worldview yeah. a creative person is courageous in the sense that they uh, have no fear they are happy to go and not necessarily agree with but happy to go and listen to other people's ideas mm. and so in a company I think it's really important to do some sort of profiling. We've developed an innovation one called an ICLI that looks at explorers and preservers. And typically, uh, you know, the, the, the creative people are the explorers. But what happens when they come back to work and most people are just conservative and preserving and saying, we don't want to do that. We tried that last year. But that tension can rip a company apart. But that tension can also help a company move forward. If you can recognize the value that each person gives to that process. I like what you said there. The tension can rip the company apart or it can move them forward. So what's the catalyst there for one way or the other? So what's the catalyst that that tension rips the company apart? But more importantly, what's the catalyst that for a company that's able to take that tension and use it as propellant? Consciousness. I mean, I don't want to sound, you know, I'm saying that. The, One word. Okay, done. Interview's well, over. Well, well, well the, the company where the tension rips them apart is when they have, they don't, they're not aware of what's happening. They can't see it. There's this pressure, there's tension, mm. um, there's personalities politically fighting for each other. The, the stronger personality wins, not necessarily the correct one. And they can't see what's happening. I hate to say it, but you need to bring in an independent facilitator yeah. who can see it from a bird's eye perspective and say, look, you've got the tension there. Um, let's use that tension to move forward so what we're trying to do is take the diversity of a team it's funny that a lot of these companies are saying they're diverse because because um you know we want to be seen as a diverse company and really a lot of companies are saying they're diverse because they don't want to get into a pr nightmare but if they were if they were genuine you know the stuff that's coming out of silicon valley yeah. at the moment oh yeah if they were genuine tough. about if they were genuine about creativity they would have a diverse team yeah. not because it's a pr nightmare but they would recognize that you know you know put people on the google bus there's 10 people on the google bus and nine of them are white 30 year old 
males all live in the same suburb. Really, are they going to have a creative discussion? Are they going to understand what it must be like to be a single uh, person from a different culture, mm. a single mother? Uh, are they going to understand how they use it? No, not if they're all the same. Mm. So the diversity issue is not so much a PR issue for me. It should be about the fact that we genuinely want creativity in our company. And therefore, if we do that, we're going to have to have diverse opinions. But the danger of those diverse opinions is they cause tension. And so we, we flee from that tension rather than embrace it. We should be embracing that tension, facilitating it and letting it pull us forward rather than creating these echo chambers where we walk away feeling good. Because if we do that, we won't get the creativity. Now you brought up Silicon Valley, so I'll, I'll go there. And I, I've been following it as I'm, I'm sure you have. Do you think that a lot of that lack of diversity, the sort of monolith that the Valley has become is one of the reasons that there's struggle with creativity at a lot of the bigger companies? I think you've had some creative geniuses and you know we, we can name them all because they're yeah. always through the papers all the time. They're not necessarily great leaders. That's the other thing people ask me, you know, yeah. was, was this person a great leader? I said, no, but they're a great innovator. Yeah. They're a creative person um, and survivorship bias. We always read about the good ones. Yeah. And you don't need, you know, the whole company doesn't need to be creative. Sometimes you only need one or two great people. But when you lose them, there's a big hole in yeah. the market. If you took what happened with Uber um, over the last year, and this might date the podcast a little bit, but you know, it started with a very creative person that said they wanted to make um, mobility as as, as uh, effective as running water. Yeah. And they, I'll use the out of the box example again, but you know, you can improve in tech, you can improve taxi services as much as you like. They they may end up being as good as Singapore, yeah. but then all of a sudden, someone's looking in a completely different way and saying, "Well, hang on, there's thousands of other cars on the road. Why can't we use them?" That's the one plus one equals three. So. The concept of Uber or in Asia, it's Grab, and they're both arguing about which came first. But the concept was always both owned by SoftBank. Yeah, <laughs> that the concept was there that we we can we can use something more than taxis. So it wasn't about improving taxis. Mm. Um, it was about improving the whole, you know, improving mobility. So there were some really creative ideas there. But then, about a year ago, a report came out on how toxic Uber was as, yeah. a, as a company. Uh, the CEO resigned. Um, they one of the, the new CEO basically said, "Look, we were too busy winning." So they, they moved from being creative to looking at the culture of their company and the bullying that was going on and the narrow-mindedness. So everything that we researched about what kills creativity, ironically, found its way into Uber, mm. even though it, it is considered in all the case studies a creative breakthrough. Uh, that's fine, but that's a one-off. And I'm sick of reading about these companies that have these one-off ideas, become really popular. You go to conferences, you hear about companies with triple-digit growth, and they're gone in two years' time. What we need to do is if we genuinely want proper creativity, as you said yourself, employ the right people, yep. attract the creative people to your organization, and look after them. And create an environment that allows them to be creative, not a toxic environment where the report with Uber, it was a dog-eat-dog -dog culture, mm. it was an alpha male-generated culture, so there's the diversity gone. What, what female wants to work in an alpha male-generated culture with narcissistic mm -hmm. leaders? Not too many, yeah. Yeah, so, so there's, your, again, it, sure, it's a PR nightmare for these companies, but it's a bigger issue than the fact that they're not employing diversity and they're not using that diversity to explore ideas, using empathy to understand exactly what people want by getting out there and seeing things bigger than what their little tiny picture. Now you talk about that diversity of thought and get away from Uber for a second and look at Google. I mm. think not too many people would argue against Google as being a creative company. They've done quite a few, or at least argue against them being an innovative company. I'll, I'll leave you to decide creativity. I'm no expert in that in that realm. 
but I think it was two years ago they an engineer got forced out. Thanks uh, to more. Yeah, and mm. you know, essentially for having an opinion, a thought opposite of the majority at Google, is is that a sign that they're struggling with that diversity? Look, I mean, here we are. We've just picked on three of the most successful companies <laughs> in the world. So we're either going to be very popular by some and hated by others. But look, hey, let, as long as they're listening. Look, let, let's let's talk about these companies and let's be a little bit um, um, critical. Critical. Yeah. Um, yes, Google uh, is well known for its Google Canteen. You, you've heard me talk about that and yeah. how they've engineered the Canteen to make it uh, a place where people can meet and join and and have that um, dare I say connection of ideas. So the engineer can meet the software person, can meet the salesperson and they have actually designed the canteen in a way that they want to encourage people to stay at the canteen. Uh, and I think that is absolutely fantastic because they've known, uh, I don't know if they're making the canteen because they're altruistic or they've got a lot of money, but I do know that they're a science company and they've done their research as case studies on Google's research to know that the best creative ideas don't happen in cubicles. They happen in a place where people can share and talk. But then if you flip that on the switch, on the, on the on the opposite side, several years ago, Google got in trouble again. I'll go back to the Google bus. People yeah. were being picked up and bypassing all the local communities. They were making a joke that if 10 people were on the bus, they were most of them white 30-year-olds, yeah. males. Um, so now all of a sudden you've got the other issue, and that is within that culture, the culture's become so strong that it's, it's going to turn back in on itself because what's going to happen is there will the, the lack of diversity is gone and all of a sudden someone speaks up heck he went to a training session he was asked for his feedback it wasn't even meant to be a public feedback he just he said he's an engineer he might not have had the most social skills in the world yeah. he just said look this is my feedback with the session um he got fired for it yeah. he's, he's bringing a case action against google at the moment so unfortunately it's become very political but the concept behind it of not being able to speak out we've got to be really careful of now, of course we don't want to offend people so it is definitely a paradox it is definitely a very difficult line to walk but if we're serious about creativity we have to create safe environments where people can share ideas where people can throw out ideas that they feel are not necessarily um uh, you know, even if throwing an idea, you may not agree with it, but you throw it out just to see where it goes. Mm -hmm. Because we even know, and I'm, I'm, with brainstorming, for example, the best ideas only come in the last thirty percent of brainstorming. But but if you're in a company where everyone's where there's no diversity and no one's allowed to speak out, who's going to throw out a crazy idea of brainstorming for fear of being shut down and saying that's, yeah. that's a stupid idea? You'll never get to the great ideas if you're not prepared to throw around all the, all the crazy ideas. So if we're in these toxic cultures where there's A-type personalities ruling, where there's a culture of fear, where there's a culture of narrow-mindedness, where there's a culture of a controlling boss, these are all the things that we've identified in our book that blocks the creativity, as we call it, who kill creativity, a, a bit of a play off the Cluedo game. Mm. Who kill creativity with what weapon and where is really what we're talking about because we're trying to identify for those companies that are courageous enough to use that as a diagnostic. We're trying to say, hey, you guys, you can do all the design thinking you like. You can read all the books. You can watch all the YouTube videos. You can have a hackathon every Friday night. But if you have a toxic work environment that does not allow those people to bring out that child like creativity so earlier on in this podcast we talked about children in school now we've moved to corporate so you can see why adults have yeah. lost their creativity if we don't create an environment that allows people to be creative and allows diversity and allows in a in a non-offensive way um freedom of thought for people to explore ideas where they're not going to feel they're going to get fired for giving feedback that they're asked to do 
then we're not going to get the creative ideas. So we have looked at cycles of creativity, not only in uh, companies, but also generations of cultures. We've gone back as far as Egypt, when you think about it. Egypt, it's a little, little far. It's a little far, but, but Egypt was one of the most innovative countries in the world back mm. then. Um, what happened? That's an interesting thought. Anchor what? Greece. Cam- yeah. What happened in um, it, uh, in Rome? All these great civilizations and companies tend to go through the same cycles. And they start off very creative with a couple of entrepreneurial leaders, but before they know it, they get bogged down in these toxic environments. And we, our research is looking at how do you make sustainable creativity, not just accidentally stumbling across the right theme because the right personality was in the right place at the right time. That's survivorship bias. We love to read about those people. Yeah. Most of us are not going to be that company and we're not going to be that individual. So how do we make creativity sustainable and how do we make it for everyone, not just for the freaks? So how? Well, I... <laughs> well, well, let's not give it all away, but you know, that, that is definitely well, the... We, the how is start by asking that question yeah. and not just assuming it. That's the, whether, you, whether you're the number one company in the world, which is yeah. Google, and they are ranked as the number one innovative company in the world at the moment. Yeah. But heck, if we were having this conversation 10 years ago, we could be talking about Wang Computers or Borders Books or Kodak. Dell, so let, let's, yeah. Dell, let, let, let's, not, let's not kid ourselves. Gateway Computers. Yeah, I mean, with the, list, the list can go on, but they're, they're forgotten. And it's dynamic. Um, but So let, let's think about that, the, the sustained creativity, which... I, I think I, I agree with you that a lot of companies struggle with that, just like sustained innovation. Um, and you said a lot of companies start out very creative, very innovative. And I, I've had the same experience myself as an entrepreneur where we start with a, a very unique idea that's challenging and then we build it, we develop it, we prototype it, we get it to market. And, and that's pretty much it. We ideate going forward slightly you know, to keep it market ready. I think there are a lot of companies that struggle with that at scale too, like even bigger than I've ever gotten. How, how does a company, other than asking that question, you know, how do they get out of that rut? Because to me, it feels like maybe that's in contrast to what it takes to run a large organization, that maybe you need some of that structure and control that takes away creativity to be successful. Is that, is that a wrong assumption? No, look, I mean, we'll, we'll go back to Google again. I think what they did with Alphabet was the right idea. Mm-hmm. We, we, you do see as companies get bigger and bigger, the bureaucracy kicks in. And bureaucracy is one of the things we identified as kills creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're not saying bureaucracy is wrong. You, you mm-hmm. can't run a big company without it being bureaucratic. Yeah. And I've got a friend of mine that worked for a large insurance company and he's now started his own insurance company and it's worth a lot of money. And he said he can blow the other companies out of the water because of their legacy and their bureaucracy. He can make his insurance company run much leaner, much cheaper, much more efficiently. But he's not stupid. He knows in 10, 20 years' time, he will have the same issue. Mm-hmm. So there's no question about it. The larger the company gets, I mean, I go back to China. I mean, I can't run a billion people, so I'm not yeah. going to pretend to comment on it. The larger a company gets, the more difficult this becomes. The, bu- the bureaucracy, the checks and balances, the, the accountability to stakeholders, the ability to turn a profit, all these things start eating into the C-level suites um, priority list. And yet, ironically, it's the creative ideas that need to keep coming through. Mm. So you do need what, what, what's been called now the ambidextrous leader or the ambidextrous, I would say better than an ambidextrous leader, the ambidextrous leadership team. So you do have some people on the team that are continually going out and exploring, 
and some people on the team that are dedicated to preserving and keeping the cult, keeping the, the wheels moving. But unfortunately, we see in companies too much of that is run by the stronger personality in the room rather than it being a conscious decision. So we, we're saying you need a conscious decision to say this is the group that, that's going to – of course, everyone should be creative, but mm. this is the group that will be responsible for the creative ideas and we will give them the environment – that will allow them to be creative. And hey, guys, over here, there's another group that's going to be responsible for, you know, earthing those ideas yeah. and, and keeping keeping the thing going forward. Look, we all know in brainstorming, the greatest danger is that person in the room saying, that's a stupid idea, it doesn't work. Yeah. And what I say to that person is, look, I, I want you to talk, but not now. So let the stupid ideas come out because from one of those stupid ideas, you may come across the next Game of Thrones. You may come across the next Harry Potter. But the reality is somebody eventually is going to have to cut those ideas down to that work, but at the right time and the right place. Well, like you said too, a, the kid, a, a young kid can see one plus one equals three or, or two completely unrelated things that have an outcome that's interesting. Mm. I, I guess that's the stage you want to get to with that ambidextrous leadership, right? Well, the kids can – this is the – we introduced, interviewed Baroness Susan Greenfield, who's a neuroscientist out of um, England, and she said – we said, well, then why aren't kids running companies? Mm. Which is a really it, – it's an interesting question to have a look at. Is, and she said, well, well, because yeah. kids are really good at the creativity, but they're terrible at implementing it because kids can't follow through. Yeah. So this is why you need both. You need the divergent thinking, which goes up and up and up and, and comes up with these crazy ideas and sees a, a mountain in a biscuit or a stick yeah. as a, a snake or, yeah. or whatever. But at the end of the day, you also need realistic people within the company to take all those ideas and say, these are the ones that we can make work. Execute. These are the ones that we yeah. can implement. These are the ones we can execute. So this comes back to the tension between the exploring people and the preserving people, between the ambidextrous leadership team or the ambidextrous team that you can have both because kids on their own will come up with lots of creative ideas but but we all know most of them won't work so you need you need both but you need them at the right time and you i'll go back to that being consciously aware you need to look consciously and say these are the creative people in the team we're going to look after them we're going to allow them to fail we're going to create an environment where they cross pollinate with other people these are the more bureaucratic preserving people on the team respect them for what they do i just run creative thinking with 50 financial people from a very large company and i've been running the creative thinking courses for this company um, for the last year and i've done every department and every time we do our little board game called who kills creativity they also always say it was the finance team and i was thinking <laughs> oh i can't wait till june because on June, on my birthday, I'm going to actually run it for the finance team. And I got in the room at nine o'clock and they were looking at me thinking, what am I doing here? And I was looking at them thinking, I've got some news for you guys. Hey, we got through the day and I think they really loved it. Um, of course, financial accounting these days yeah. was called the GFC. So we're not going there. <laughs> but, but they really appreciated that they were invited into a session on creative thinking. Mm. And, and one of the things they did as their takeaway is they said, they're going to listen a lot more to the creative people in the company I said, look, fine, you guys might be the gatekeepers. I don't mind you saying no, because someone's got to say no, otherwise the idea is a waste of money. It's how you say no. It's do you say no and shut down that person's creativity and they'll never come back to you again? Or do you say, hey, that's a really good idea, but have you considered X, Y, and Z? And so I'm no, I wasn't asking the finance team to be creative because, as I said, that could be very dangerous. It's yeah. called creative financing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, but I was asking them to play in this large, you know, huge multinational company. I was asking them to play a very important role 
in the creative process. So all credit to the CEO and the HR director that was saying, hey, we're not just going to run this for the marketing team or the front office team. We're going to run this workshop for everyone and let the finance people see where they where they fit in the process of creative thinking. And they were so appreciative of that. It sounds like they realize that they're not the creative ones, that they're the preserving ones. Yeah. But they knew, but 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 they knew where they fit in the. They knew where they fitted in the process. That that that's what made them feel that today was a successful day. And some of them in the feedback said, "Look, I've I've never been creative. I'm not that creative. But now I can see my role in the creative process." We're not asking at the end of this podcast everyone to go off and connect sticks and biscuits and come up with ideas and one yeah. plus one equals three. We're asking everyone to be aware of it, know where they sit in the creative process. By all means, there are times to stop the creative idea because you don't want to take a stupid idea to market, but it's how you do it in a way that doesn't shut down the creative people ideas in the way that the creative person comes to you today with an idea and you tell him it's not that great. Uh, It comes to you the next day with a great idea and you say, "Mm, may not work. And in a year's time, he comes to you and he hits on the next iPhone or the next, as I said, the next Game of Thrones or the next whatever it's going to be. We don't know. Mm. But that person will only come back if they've been encouraged to come back, if the culture's toxic and it keeps shutting down and killing their creativity, they're not going to come back. They'll go somewhere else. Sounds like that process or that system is the key to working that tension in the right direction. Look, I'll give you the, the, the funniest or the saddest example we had is we were working with a company where the GM employed us to do creativity with his team. At the beginning of the three-day workshop, he came to us and he gave a great introduction and we were all excited and everyone was inspired and, you know, we're looking forward to a great three days. And then he condescendingly, metaphorically patted everyone on the head and said, enjoy your training. I'll come back at the end of the, at the, end, the end of the session. He had his core executive team in the room and they were going to explore creating a creative culture. But he thought he was above all that. And I can't stand it when a company says, enjoy your training, because we're not giving them a skill. We're facilitating them through a process. Anyway, we, we all went off and did a great two-day, two or three-day workshop. At the end of the session... There were hundreds of ideas around the room and each team, we tried to work the GM back into it to, to see to make him feel part of it. After yeah. all, he paid for us. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, he came back in and we uh, each team was going to present their ideas to him. And I remember he walked in. The first thing he noticed is, as you know, that our rooms are very creative. They've got lots going on because we like to visually stimulate people. Hundreds of ideas around the room. Now, in all fairness, most of the ideas were crap, stupid, and quite silly. But he was not there for the process. He didn't see the process. He didn't go through how we got those ideas out of people, how we addressed their deep psychological fears, and then finally got them to feel creative. Anyway, he sat in the middle of the room with his arms folded. I could already tell from the body language this was not going to go well. The first team got up to present and they were all excited and they shared all the ideas and they took through the process and he just sat there completely stone-faced. Remember, he wasn't there during the process. The next team got up to present and they were pretty confident but not quite as confident as the first team. By the time the last team got up, they were pushing each other saying, you do it, no, you do it, I don't want to do it, you do it. And two very shy people got up and presented as fast as they could and got off again. That GM, who incidentally employed us to teach creative thinking to his team, within 30 minutes killed the entire two days and killed all the creativity in his team because he was not willing to acknowledge the process they'd been through. He didn't like their output and he condescendingly thought that they were going to do a training session that he did not need to be a part of. Did everything wrong. So there's the irony. Well, he employed us. He paid us. So yes. <laughs> it was okay. well, after that. But how sad. How sad. And that's what I'm saying. How quickly can things turn? We, we spent a lovely few days with these guys 
bringing their creativity out, helping them to explore ideas, helping them to look for solutions in their industry, coming up with some great solutions along with some silly ones. Mm. And within 30 minutes, he'd killed the whole culture. And there's the danger leadership style. I think that's kind of the perfect story to end things oh, on. Oh, well, we're going to end on a negative one? <laughs> it's not negative, right? you got to take away the positive from it, right? It, it's what he did wrong, but you got to take away what could be done right. Well, I suppose as leaders, we've got to ask ourselves, as I said, I'm not saying you just let every creative idea come through, whether you're a finance leader or a GM or yeah. the sales or marketing leader. We've got to ask ourselves, how do we create an environment that brings out the creativity that we had as children? Yeah. Uh, in our employees that attracts them to want to work for us because the demand for creative talent is very, very you know high and very scarce to find. So how do we attract the most creative people, the creative class into our cities um, and into our companies and then retain them in allowing us to break through with ideas and not killing off their ideas so they want to go and work somewhere else? In the process, right? Knowing where you fit in the process is important. Yeah, and look, none of us came to our first day of work hating it. We all came engaged. Um, now day only, two, though, that well, was a that's different day story. Two. <laughs> well, that's right. We all, we all came engaged, and yeah. so we've got to think about why do we not have that level of creative enthusiasm? What's happened to our work trajectory over those years? Mm. Have we unfortunately had bad leaders that have killed our creativity? Are we a leader that kills people's creativity, or are we a leader that encourages people's creativity? I think I think that's what we're trying to ask. And, and for those listening to the podcast, if you've sat through that 40 minutes and you're now at the end of it, then one question, are you encouraging creative thinking in your teams? Do you know what it is? Are you allowing that tension to pull you forward, or are you the one that's letting that tension pull you apart? Awesome. Well, thank you, Andrew. I appreciate your time. Excellent. Have a good day. Thank you. You've been listening to the Reskill Upskill mini-series that's part of the Self-Disruption Podcast. This mini-series is brought to you by SEAC, a leader in lifelong learning and their Your Next Hue platform. You can find all the links to check them out in the show notes of this episode.